0: you take out your Bible, please, and stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and turn to the book of Acts, the third chapter. It's on page 886 in your pew Bible, Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. If you're visiting, we have been preaching through the Bible, and we take on entire books in a Sunday. We come to the only recording of the authoritative insight of the early church. Luke has written his gospel, and now he's writing the story of the same Jesus working through us. Peter's on his way to worship, and he surprises a guy on the side of the freeway wanting a little help. Together as God's people, let's read verses 1 through 10 together out loud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's Word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It sends a reading of God's holy word to him be the glory and the honor. The book of Acts is this. Christ went up, the spirit came down, and the church went out. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) It's basically, amen, uh, for that, but uh, <laughs> I so dislike family members. But as uh, we're taking a look at the book of Acts, this remarkable writing of Luke, he writes not only remember the gospel, but this, and we find out that it's the story and the message is the same Jesus, when his earthly ministry touched and healed and saved and transformed. The point of Acts is this very same Jesus is doing it Still. But now he does it through his Spirit, the Spirit of God through his people. Luke begins with a handful of Jewish followers of the Jewish Messiah in an upper room called Palestine. And it ends with the Apostle Paul, after Christianity has spread to include Gentiles as us, the whole Mediterranean world, and in the heart of the imperial capital of Rome itself. And how that happened was by the Spirit of Christ. Christ went up, the ascension. And what you're looking to today makes all the difference as to where your life will end. You follow your eyes. The Spirit came down. I don't know what you're trying to gas your tank with, your life, the energy, the juice to get you ahead. But when you have God Himself in you, and the church went out. This is not a biography studying about Jesus. When you and I pull the trigger of faith and step out in faith and make a difference then God changes our lives. I have had a wild 49 years in my life. The other day I was uh, riding with my daughter. She was driving, and my whole life flashed in front of me. and, (laughs) And I realized, you know, I can tell you this, though. The greatest thing in my life was 31 years ago when I said, Lord, would you come into my life? And it's never, ever been the same. It can happen to any of us this morning if you've got the courage to let God love you. And if you don't, it will pass you by. Let's take a look why Luke says that. Turn with me over to Luke the, or to Acts, the first chapter. It's on page 884. Let's take a look at this beginning here, the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Luke is writing to Theophilus again. Josephus, the great Jewish historian of the first century, wrote two biographies, two volumes of the history of the Jewish wars and antiquities. And Luke seems to be the, remember, he's a, the doctor. He's the only Greek, the only Gentile. And he is writing in this way. Uh, let's read verses 1 through 5. If, if you're visiting, the reason I have us read it aloud. It takes a different part of your brain to speak than it does to listen. And I want you to know this. Let's read this. In the first book, Theophilus... I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen after his suffering he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God while staying with them he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait there for the promise of the Father this, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, you'll notice that the first thing that Luke is putting out is Jesus, what does he do for this celebration of the resurrection? For 40 days, he's with them. He's eating with them. He's appearing. He's in a physical, but a spiritual body. He travels at the speed of thought, and yet they hug him, they feel him, they smell his hair. He very much shows himself alive. The question is, well, why does he show himself only to the disciples and not to everybody else? In fact, have you ever asked that? When I, before I was a Christian, I thought, hey, if Jesus walks in this room, I will follow him. Well, the Bible says, no, you won't. It says that he will come back someday. When he comes back, all decisions are made. Death doesn't change you. It fixes the direction you're going. And between now and then, you and I have one bullet to shoot. It's called our life. And there's a lot of questions I've got why God does the things he does. Why does he, some of the nicest people, life just hammers them? Does it not? Just knocks the tar out of them? And God allows some of the biggest sleaze balls to be blessed? Doesn't that bother you? Yes. And I'll point some of them out uh, later on questions. Uh, did you see that Albert Einstein, they found some more of his stuff at Princeton and they're setting up his library right there by the Peacock Inn there. And uh, one of my favorite stories of Einstein, he had, you know, a, kind of an ornery sense of humor. And when he first came here from Germany, when he was traveling up and down the Eastern Seaboard lecturing, the chauffeur that was assigned to him had to come in and sit and listen to he lecture to every, and he only had one lecture. And the chauffeur driving one time said, you know, uh, Doctor Einstein." I've heard, of some, I bet you I could give that. And Einstein said, you're on. And nobody knew exactly what he looked like. And so uh, I think it was Brown University or somewhere, speaking to some graduate students. Einstein came in with the chauffeur's hat, you know, with his hair. He looked like a chauffeur. And, <laughs> and the chauffeur got up and he gave a flawless talk on quantum mechanics. Everything was going great. But at the end, uh, one of the students said, uh, Mr. Einstein, I have a question for you. And he asked him about relativity and relativity. Could you answer that? Well, the chauffeur said, uh, I'm shocked you would ask that question. You know, it is such a simple question. My chauffeur can answer that for you. And he did. <laughs> well, we got lots of questions about life and why that God does these things. Well, the disciples are no different. Look in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the disciples, he gathers with them and we'll know later, this is the Mount of Olives. And he says, you stay, I'm going to come back to you. He physically goes up and that is God, obviously. Does that point the direction of heaven? No. He's going into the eternal dimension. Einstein said there were at least four dimensions up, down, side, up and down in time. I was talking to one of our physicists at the uh, last hour. Uh, there's no, pretty much, it's pretty accepted theory right now. There are ten dimensions in some of the quantum mechanics and things that they're working on. But Christ physically ascends. God rips the time-space continuum and there's this glorious crowd. And the angels say he's going to come back the same way. Someday, Jesus Christ is physically going to, he's in a spiritual body right now in the presence of the Father interceding on our behalf. Someday the Father will send him back. He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. I think he's going to come back on Sunday, personally. You don't know that for sure. First day of the week, Sunday, God began making the world. Sunday, he raised Jesus from the dead. Sunday, the Holy Spirit was given. I think he's going to come back on Sunday. And remember, it's seven hours earlier there. You need to be at the 9 o'clock worship service is all I'm going to tell you about that. But... He said, the same Christ is going to be coming back. And he went up. Do you know what people look to today to try to get their lives together? It is so tragic. Just reading a social, actually a sociologist from Harvard was given a commentary. He spent the last two years traveling the world, examining the state of civilization. Wouldn't that be a great project to be given? And his summary is, quote, we are marching steadily Every year, back to barbarianism around the world. The fabric that holds the social network of law and order together is ripping apart in the world. And we do not know exactly when Christ will return. He may not come back for a thousand years. But Israel is the watch piece of God. And as you watch and as the nations gather around, someone asked Jesus, will the world get better or worse? And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. Evil will get worse as good gets better simultaneously as you go from crisis to crisis before my return. And so they went up and he, the angel said, he's going to meet you. Christ went up and then over here in the second chapter, they're surprised how he comes back. Let's read verses 1 through 4 together. This is called Pentecost. It's 50 days. It was a Jewish holiday after Passover. Let's read this together out loud. One was the giving of the law, they said. They, no one knows, but they celebrated that this is when Moshe, when Moses was given the law. The burning bush, remember the Sinai event when God gave his name before he came back for the Ten Commandments? Any good Jewish boy and girl in that room knew what fire represented, the cleansing of God, and it came on their hair, something that should burn and it didn't. And the other thing they celebrated was creation. The sound of a violent wind. They are gathered together praying. And I might remind you, God comes to you when you seek God. God never jumps anybody. You come to Him or you're left out. Oh, He seeks us. He's calling us constantly. But He'll never overrule your free will in that sense. And so this new creation, and all of a sudden they begin speaking. Was that great last Sunday night when we were gathered over at the Ford Theater with those other the churches together? And were those little uh, the Hispanic kids choir, were they darling or what? But to hear John 3.16 in six different languages and they began speaking. Look at verse 5. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. At the sound the crowd gathered together and were bewildered because each one heard them speaking the native language of his own. Amazed and astonished, she said, Are not these all who speaking Galileans? How did they each hear each of us in our own native language? By the way, they never had the expression as sharp as a Galilean. <laughs> Galilee was a derogatory term, because those were the bumpkins, the hillbillies. That's why the Jews accuse Jesus to Sanhedrin. They say, Is he not from Galilee? That's like saying, Is he not from Barstow? I'll probably get a letter on that. but uh, and, they're, and they're speaking, it's not weird gibberish, it's all their languages coming out. And look at verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. I love Peter's defense. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. Meaning what, Peter? (laughs) Meaning come back at 2, they could be hammered. But right now, (laughs) he's saying, no, it's early in the morning. But this is what the prophecy of Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon you. And then he gives this eloquent sermon. The spirit came down. This is the man by their own words they were hiding for their very lives. What changed them? What changed them just wasn't the resurrected Christ. Cause they could have went, cool, that's heavy, and went off and lived their lives and died. But it's when God filled them and He said, I have a mission for you. Same Jesus this morning wants to come into you. And wants to come in a deep way. And not just say, I'm gonna, you try to catch me, but let me live my life through you. And so these men go marching out. And it's in their own language. God speaks your language, not your values. Your language. God has higher and greater values. Do you remember when you first went to church, or any of you that you've never been to church before? Doesn't that bug you? Christians have their own language and their own secret handshakes. Have you noticed that? (laughs) remember the first time I went to a church after not going for a while, and someone said, wasn't that a blessing to your heart? I I don't know, Or, or you'll hear someone say, that was a powerful, eschatological, sanctifying, edifying moment. Was it not? And you just say, whatever. But here they heard in their own language. And this is where the other religions have truths in them, but they're not the truth. There is a truth in what Buddha taught in Hinduism, that this physical world is not everything you see. I think Buddha would have been a follower of Jesus if he would have met him. There's truths in what the prophet Muhammad spoke, that there is one God and that you must serve him. There's truths in what Judaism teaches. And last Sunday night here on Yom Kippur where they're saying, we have done wrong, oh God, please forgive me. Back in Colorado, particularly southern Colorado, we go climbing in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, the Collegiate Range, in Mount Princeton. There's about four or five trails you can get halfway up. And then there's about three different trails you can get above Timberline. But if you want to get on the top, there's only one way there. And you can live your life following other religions to a point. But you want the real truth, there's only one way, and His name is Jesus. Man, there's a great Eastern story of... The four blind men, what was an elephant like? And they're trying to explain, all of us are serving the same God. And so the four blind men, they were touching an elephant, and one touched his trunk, and he said, oh, an elephant's like a snake. And another one grabbed a leg and said, no, no, an elephant is like a tree. And another one grabbed his tail and said, no, an elephant is like a paintbrush. And another one grabbed his stomach and said, no, an elephant is like a boat. And then the, the teachers will say, that shows that we all have a piece of God. Well, not to diss a very famous old parable. The trouble is, they're all wrong and they're all blind. The truth is, man, the truth is one way, Christ. And this is what happens when the Spirit comes down. And and I tell you, I've studied other faiths as you have, and there are noble, brilliant men and women who follow them. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, and I have talked with many people that I disagree with. But I want to tell you, I have never seen a faith that is honest in telling you who you really are and the hope to change you is Jesus. In 1960, the Israeli Secret Service discovered in Brazil one of the great architects of the Holocaust, Adolf Eichmann. And they brought him back, remember, to trial. They captured him and when they had him in a little glass courtroom verdict stand standing there, and as they were judging him, and they had to have a witness, this man who sent hundreds of thousands of people to brutal, excruciating deaths in their death camps. And a gentleman by the name of Yahil Dimur came in who had survived the death camp of Auschwitz. And he came in and he saw Eichmann standing there, dressed, and he almost passed out, and he grabbed the back of a chair... And he finally went through and he said, yes, that is the man. And later on when CBS News was interviewing him, saying that he had flashes of the horror of the death camps, what went through your mind? He said, no. He said he is a decent, intelligent man hiding that monster. If you talked to him, he would be a kind, caring person with this monster inside. And he said... I could be Eichmann. Any of us could. And some of us in here, we have this socialized view that I'm not really that bad, but we all have that tiger inside. Praying for Ray Horn and Siegfried as for years with that bangled cat on the stage, and all of a sudden something snaps and it takes his throat and drags him across the stage. And a lot of us, we're okay, but something in our life can snap, and you see who you really are. Not the socialized niceness, and the only cure to that congenital disease called sin is the cross of Christ. And that's why the Spirit came down to change them. Right now, and then they went out. Look over in this third chapter, trying to find the right person. We all want to change in our lives. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and a man lying from birth was carried in. People would lay him and he would ask for money. Like on the side of the 405 over here. All of us. Don't we want changes? woman had a husband and he drank a little bit and he didn't show up for two days and she told her neighbor, I'm going to go down to the police and put in a missing persons report and... They said, all right. And she went with him, and police officer said, Madam, what's he like? She said, well, he's about 6'4". He's really good-looking. He's uh, got wavy hair. He's he's wealthy. He's a kind man, and he takes care of our kids. And the neighbor pulled on her sleeve and said, Your husband's five foot. he's stumpy, he's bald, he's mean, he's always broken, he's always yelling at you. And the woman said, Who wants him back? <laughs> and all of us think, Well, you know... I want something a little different here. (laughs) And so Peter comes walking in and John, Peter looked intently at him. He asked them for alms. And Peter says, look at us. All the guy wants is a few bucks to get by to take away the misery of the day. And is it not tragic what we will settle for? All I want is a little more money. All I want is a glorious sexual experience and a perfect body. All I want is to get high on a little of the booze or the Coke or something. All I want is some recognition and some fame so the world knows who I am. All I want is to get back and justice and vengeance on that so-and-so. And God says, that's what you want? I offer you something so much better. And Peter said, look at us. And the man's hoping to get some money, put his hand out. And Peter said, I don't have any money. And no doubt the guy went, great. Peter said, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man got up. And he was healed on the spot. And he went into the temple praising God. This same for the next 12 chapters, it's about Peter in the early church. And then it will go with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, and end up in Rome. And the whole story is about people like you and me. And we're at the end of this book of Acts. It's right here, the same Christ, if we're willing to make this difference. You can live life your way, your will, on your power. That's called humanism, and most of the world does this, and it's a disaster. Or you can do something even worse. Try to do God's will on your power. That's called religion, or the New Testament calls it the carnal, the flesh-powered. And you can't be a good boy or girl. we got a disease. Or you can live God's will by God's power. And that's what a spirit-filled life is. Christ himself within us, living and moving and breathing. I tell you, I can give you a forgiven past. This morning. Don't you wish that all the things that you've... Not just what others did to you, but you know those dirty little secrets that you've done. The ones that Satan keeps accusing you of and haunts you in the night. You know how to get rid of those? It's not therapy. It's Christ. I've, uh, have you ever typed a mean response to somebody and wisely not send it out? I uh, was looking back for a letter that I sent that might have been just a little edgy, but I found out this last week. My computer didn't get a virus. It got Ebola. <laughs> Computers completely wiped out. The good news is all the dumb things I wrote are too. When you come to Christ, He doesn't just hit the delete button. He throws the hard drive in the depths of the sea. He'll never remember it. I can give you a peace right now in the present, no matter what happens in the world, that He is with you. And Christ can give you a future, a hope that you can't even dream of. pastor told me, someone in his congregation, he did a funeral for a 35-year-old late mother. And the father said as he was driving home with their little seven-year-old that she looked up and it was a beautiful day. And she said, Daddy, I bet Mom's enjoying this day. And he said, What do you mean? And she said, If it's this pretty on the wrong side of heaven, think what it is there. And someday when you stand in front of Christ, and He will come and He will call you by name. And the angels will be bowing and perfect music. And he will hug you and you will feel him and smell his hair and he will say, welcome home. Or he will stand in front of you as your judge. I'm going to do something as we close up this morning that may not seem very Presbyterian, but it's very biblical. I'm going to give you and I a chance to make a difference in our life. I'm going to ask that you would simply to come down here and to stand and to make a commitment and a prayer with me. You know, there's a lot of people that would say, well, you know, I'm going to give my life to Christ, but I'm not going to do it right now, later on. No, you won't. You're stuck in this river called sin, and you can't swim your way out. But periodically, God stops the river, and He puts His hand, and He says, if you want to get out, now is the time. You don't come to Christ any time you'd like. Yes, He loves you, and yes, He calls, and He knows our excuses. Well, what would others think? I don't want to become like one of them. Well, don't become like one of them. Particularly if one of them are like me. Never become like me. But I'm asking you to become like one of them. i ask you to become connected to Christ. If you're a Jew, I'm not asking you to become a Gentile. I'm asking you to become a follower of the Messiah. If you're Catholic, I'm not asking you to become a Protestant. I'm asking you to come closer to Christ. And there's some of us here, we need to come forward. God has been calling and saying... I want to take you to the next level, and we've been dodging it. No emotional, no manipulation. But if God calls you, you need to come down here and say, yes, Lord. Some of you, you might need to come as a couple. You, Christ is no longer in the middle of that relationship, and you say, I need to have the Lord right here in the middle of us for us to get ahead. And there's some of us in here like at the last hour. Oh, what joy. This may be the morning. This may be the day you'll look back forever and ever. And you said, yes. He loves me. And I know He does. I know how much He loves you. Let's pray, shall we? Right now, with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, comes the time when we respond. And right now, before you go running off for the day, you we've got some business to do before the Lord. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens the door, I will come in and live with them and they with me. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, or if you do need to make that kind of a commitment, say yes. I want to come forward and stand. Then right now is the moment to do that. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that's here among us. We thank you that you have a love that is unstoppable. We thank you, Christ, that you are in control and someday you're going to come back. But until then, Lord, I pray that those that you are doing business, give them the wisdom and the courage to come down and let you love them. Thank you, Lord. Call those you are calling. For your sake we pray. Amen.